My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors, and I'm so glad that you're all here today. And I'm really excited to be able to introduce our special guest this morning. We have the Honorable Ron Corbett, Mayor of Cedar Rapids. Won't you give him a warm welcome as he comes to join us this morning? So good to have you here with us. We're going to try to make this comfortable and casual and informal. So, um, and I sent him a note earlier this week. I wasn't going to ask any questions about geese today. So... He's off the hook for that. We were actually sitting around in a staff meeting uh, a couple months ago talking about the series, and uh, someone was actually kind of kidding, and they're like, you know what we should do? We should have the mayor come. And so we sent off a note to the mayor's office and um, thanked Deb for her working with us so well, and, and the result of it is Ron is here with us today. So welcome. Uh, I've never met you before, and the first question I'm kind of curious about is just how you got to be mayor say something about your call to maybe public life, and what was it that got you excited about serving Cedar Rapids? Well, good morning, and thank you for having me today at this service, and I'll be back at 11 o'clock, so if I don't get all the questions answered here at the 8.30 service, you have to come back at 11, where we'll, uh, we'll do it again. Uh, running for mayor, uh, it's not my first time uh, in public life. Back in 1986, I was a graduate from Cornell College, in 1986, the 80s was the farm crisis for the state of Iowa. A lot of people were leaving our state, and I was going to be a young Iowan that stayed in Iowa. So I ran for the Iowa legislature in 86 and, and got elected and actually uh, served 13 years uh, in the legislature and uh, got to be the, the Speaker of the House, which is one of the top leadership positions uh, in the state of Iowa. In 1999, my wife and I at the time getting ready to have our fifth kid, so imagine a zero, a two, a four, a six, and an eight-year-old, and I was spending most of my time uh, in Des Moines during the legislative session. You ever hear that song, Cats in the Cradle, by uh, yeah. when, when are you going to come home, Dad? When are you going to come home, son? Well, that was kind of my cats in the cradle moment, so I walked away from it all. You know, you hear a lot of elected officials say they're stepping down to spend more time with their family. Well, uh, in that case, it was true. Uh, so I stepped down. Came back to Cedar Rapids on a full-time basis and ran the Chamber of Commerce, and then I moved out to uh, CRST. You're familiar with that company here on the west side of town. And then after the flood, I had uh, a bunch of people that were uh, supporters of mine over the years uh, suggested that I, I run for mayor. So I sat down with uh, a couple good friends at the Irish Democrat over lunch and uh, decided uh, to run for mayor. Awesome. And now how long have you been in the office? I got elected in 2009, which is right after the flood, and then was reelected in 2013. The mayor terms are four-year terms, so my current term would go until uh, December of next year, 2017. Okay. So you must have been excited about Cedar Rapids to take on that kind of position, and, and I assume you still are. What are some of the things that are maybe most exciting about what you see happening in, in Cedar Rapids? Yeah, well, one of the things that motivated me to, to run was uh, after the flood, as everyone knows, that we're here and experienced it, uh, some very challenging times for our community. Uh, many people had lost their homes. Eventually, we had to bulldoze over 1,300 homes, 100 different businesses, uh, you know, lost their uh, livelihood, and obviously all the, the public infrastructure and then the whole downtown being inundated, uh, you know, by the flood. So that's really what motivated me to run for mayor and hopefully have a chance to uh, guide Cedar Rapids through the flood recovery and then make us stronger and better uh, for the future. So that was the, the motivating uh, factor for me. 
What excites me most now about uh, the city is the energy and the vibrancy. You know, oftentimes uh, when people would have guests or relatives come and visit uh, Cedar Rapids, our own citizens, when those guests and relatives would say, what is there to do in town? People would say, there's nothing to do in town. We'll take you down to the Amana Colonies or we'll take you down to uh, Iowa City. Now when uh, people come and visit uh, the community, uh, is very proud of, of Cedar Rapids, and they'll say, well, we'll take you down to the, the Nubo area and take you to the market. So there's a lot of uh, things for people to do, which hasn't always uh, been the case. Yeah, excellent. Um, so there's probably still some challenges. I know you've, you've come through a lot of interesting times. What would you say is currently one of the top kind of issues facing our city? I would say there's uh, three big issues facing our city right now. Uh, one is just a continued effort to make sure that your existing business community is happy with uh, their, their locations here in Cedar Rapids and trying to help businesses expand. I'll just give you an example for one. Uh, maybe you haven't seen this, but it's out on 6th Street out by the airport. It's Klein Tool. And they've been in Cedar Rapids for many, many years. And this is their Midwest Distribution Center. Their whole organization is looking to relocate down to Texas and have a campus down in Mansfield, Texas. So if they do that, that's going to be about 65 jobs you know, that are lost from Cedar Rapids. It's just a constant effort. Maybe you can relate a little bit here from the church. There's probably members here that are in the current congregation that came from other churches and there have probably been times where members in this congregation have left to go to other churches. And so that, that happens in the business community uh, here in Cedar Rapids. So we really have to be uh, vigilant in making sure that we're uh, always connected to the business uh, community and making sure that any challenges or issues that come up from a city standpoint that we're working on them. The second issue is uh, the rise in youth violence in Cedar Rapids. And we've seen... Uh, as everyone knows, it's always reported whenever there's a, a shot fired or a gunshot uh, uh, in the community. Um, we're well ahead of where we were last year. So it's really been three years in a row where we've had uh, over 100 shots fired. And we're not the only community dealing with this. There's uh, every community is around the, the country. And I was in uh, Chicago maybe a month or so ago and front page of their paper listed a thousand shots fired um, but uh, blaming you know the uh, on an overall movement really isn't uh, isn't satisfying to me and neither is it to the citizens so we have some you know real challenges this afternoon over at Redmond Park there'll be a stop the youth uh, violence meeting where people can get together and, and talk about it but really it's just uh, citizen involvement and then the third issue that's a big challenge for us is uh, our continued effort to try and build uh, flood protection. Nobody ever wants to see uh, 2008 reoccur in our community, and we've made a lot of progress at, at rebuilding, and so protecting the neighborhoods and protecting the businesses in the downtown and all the growth and development we've seen is, is really important. But uh, as of now, we've been authorized. Our project's been supported by the federal government. They just haven't given us any money. So it's kind of like telling your kid, I authorize you to go to college, and the kid's all excited about it. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to give you any money so you can go. And uh, we continue to, to work on that, but it's been eight years this summer, and each and every year that goes by, it's one more year removed from that incident, 
and then other uh, disasters take place around the country. If you see what happened, you know, just this weekend in West Virginia and all the challenges they had with their flooding. So every new disaster then puts our disaster uh, further on the back burner. Okay. Well, as you've already heard us talking about this morning, we're interested in the city and we're interested in our neighborhoods and trying to do something. And I, one of the questions I said I would pose to you is, do you see a way for faith communities or for us as individuals to get involved in the city? And what would, what would our loving the city look like? Do you have some ideas about that for us? Yeah. You know, I believe that, uh, you know, the community, Cedar Rapids community is supported by a lot of pillars. Uh, certainly the faith community is one of those pillars. City government is one of those pillars. The arts and culture, we have the business community. Certainly uh, the non-for-profit organizations would be part of that, and neighborhoods. Neighborhoods are probably the most underappreciated uh, pillar that we have in our community because that's where you really get to know uh, your neighbors as you're walking around your uh, neighborhood. But each neighborhood is organized. They have a official neighborhood association. And I've been to a lot of these meetings and only about four people show up. And it's the same four people that show up month after month and you know, try to organize uh, the different activities in the neighborhood. But this is a, a real good place for people to get plugged in is through their neighborhood association. And they don't meet every month. Sometimes they take the summers off. But uh, it's a good way to get information from the city as far as maybe there's infrastructure uh, projects. Maybe the fact that uh, a street's going to get done or a water main or a sewer line would give you the opportunity to just communicate that particular issue, you know, going door to door in your neighborhood. Hey, just want to give you a heads up. This sewer project's going to take place at the city. And that may open the door to other conversations that you can have with uh, with people. So that's an important way. And then the second is there's a lot of groups and organizations that are out there trying to, you know, make improvements in our community various ways. You know, sometimes it's uh, um, uh, Boys and Girls Club, for example. They're always in need of uh, workers and volunteers. Um, the soup kitchen, uh, the homeless, uh, that are always in need of, of volunteers. The Salvation Army, uh, Matthew 25. So there's already existing groups and organizations that you can uh, partner with. So don't feel like your church has to do this alone and be by yourself and start some new initiative. There's a great ways to uh, partner with existing groups that have you know, been out there trying to do the same thing that you're doing. So I'm just going to paraphrase what I heard you say. Uh, basically, the mayor is telling us to love our neighbors. Is that what you're saying? Can that's I say it that I, way? <laughs> yeah, He's thinking I'm, about whether or not that's okay to say. Yeah, I am saying that. A couple years ago, I gave a annual state of the city address down at the hotel, similar to like the president gives uh, state of the union. Mine's not as long though. Uh, it's about 20 minutes. It's still, still long enough. And one year I challenged people to, uh, you know, fall in love with Cedar Rapids because when you, when you love somebody or you love some, something, you're going to care for it. You're going you're gonna to be concerned about it and you're going to want that either that individual or that thing that you love to, uh, to be successful. And that's really what we want for Cedar Rapids to be successful. But uh, it really only uh, works if, if uh, you know, people are involved and people love the community. So I had a, a kind of a fake proclamation. I had to do proclamations, but 
You know, the city of, of Cedar Rapids is known as the city of five seasons, and I'll tell you the story about why it was five seasons. But occasionally people have made fun of our, our town and called us the city of five smells. And uh, that relates to a lot of business and industry in the past when we had uh, Wilson Packing Plant downtown, and then we had the sewer treatment facility uh, downtown. Those of you that have been in the community for a long time remember that caught on fire one year. And uh, it got relocated to the south of town and, uh, and of course, Quaker Oats. And so the city of five smells doesn't necessarily mean the city of five bad smells. But uh, just challenging people, it's, it's okay to poke fun at yourself a little bit, but not to get too, uh, too serious. So people sometimes ask me, why is the city of five seasons? You know, what's that fifth season? I know summer, I know fall, I know winter, I know spring. What's that fifth season? Well, when our city leaders, Don Caney and a couple other people, were trying to come up with the, the slogan, uh, they actually uh, got their inspiration out of the Bible, out of Ecclesiastics, where it's a time for uh, every season. And they, as they start talking through that, they end up coming through with... Uh, the city of uh, five seasons. So that's where the inspiration uh, came, was out of Ecclesiastic, a time for every season. So the fifth season actually stands for time, the season of time, time to enjoy the other four seasons. Good job. You. you got a sermon in your back pocket you could pull out? We could just have you keep going with this. And I like that logo or that theme, fall in love with Cedar Rapids. I think that could, I think that could work for us. So we, you've already heard us mention prayer today. You know that we're a people of prayer, and we think praying makes a difference. So we wanted to pray for you and pray for the city. Um, is there some specific thing when you think about a need you have or the city that uh, we could pray about? Well, for the city right now, I'm really concerned about this youth violence effort and how, I mean, we talk about uh, love. I think many of these kids that are, that are committing these crimes aren't experiencing any love in their life right now. And maybe that's why they're, they're participating in some of these uh, activities. So that would be one thing to pray about. For me personally, um, I've got uh, two college kids home for the summer that are staying with me. <laughs> when you these don't kids, have enough time to pray for well, that. <laughs> when, when these kids go to college, they get their own little routines. And they think when they come home, they can stay on their routine and just say, while I'm leaving, I'll see you later. Don't have to tell me when they're coming home and, and all that. So I've been putting some rules on them. I say, well, for the summer, these are your rules. When you go back to college, you can, uh, I said, you can go back to the way you were, but while you're here. So uh, I've been uh, struggling with that, and I've lost my temper <laughs> and my patience a few times uh, with these uh, young uh, college students that don't think they have to tell their uh, father where they're yeah, going yeah. and what time they'll be home. So that would be something on a personal basis that okay. I would have a little more uh, patience and not be so quick to anger uh, with my college kids. And if you would, for the, for the community of Cedar Rapids, uh, especially these young people that have uh, found some reason, unfortunately, to to turn to violence, especially violence as it relates to firearms. Yeah, we will do that. Um, I definitely just want you to know that we appreciate people who uh, serve us, and there's a lot of people in different capacities who do that. Um, I'm curious if there's anybody else here who uh, vocationally has been called to public service. You work for the city, state, federal, 
uh, police, fire, any public servant type of individuals out here, just let us know, or, or did in, the, in your past. Public servants? Okay. Thank you all for your willingness to serve us in that way. So we're going to pray now, and uh, if you'd be willing to just extend forth your hand of blessing toward Ron, and uh, we'll pray for the city and pray for him. Lord God, we come before you this morning, and uh, we want to give you thanks that you are a God who uh, loves our city. We thank you that you uh, constantly watch over our coming and our going, and I pray that you would bless those who are given the responsibility of governing, that you would help them to govern well and govern wisely. We think particularly of the challenges that were just mentioned and uh, specifically of the challenge of youth violence. And we pray, God, that you would give those who are uh, endeavoring to solve that uh, real insight and wisdom, that you would grant them favor as they go out into our community to try to build solutions. And God, we do pray for those uh, kids and those families, those individuals who are involved in this, for the suffering that they experience, for the grief and loss that they experience, for the anger for uh, the, the challenges that they face. And we pray, God, that you would uh, bless our city by helping us to solve this particular problem. And God, I want to lift up Ron. We thank you for his willingness to serve. And we pray, God, that you would bless him in his work, that you would give him wisdom as he leads and, and patience as he deals with so many different issues and different groups. God, we also pray for his home. We just pray that you'd be present with him as a dad, that you would help him to have wisdom as he's taking uh, watchful care over his children, that you would give him patience with them as well. We're so grateful, God, that we can come to you and that we can be part of this community and know that you are walking with us through this time and that you are helping us to, to grow in our love for you and in our love for uh, the city. And we thank you, God, for the good things that you're going to do, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. We do have a, a parting gift for you for playing our game today. There you go. Thank you so much. You stand for your sermon. Okay, now he's going to listen to my sermon and see what I have to say. Thank you so much. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you would. We're going to we're going to actually jump all the way to the end of the book of Acts and look at Acts chapter twenty-eight. So, if you've got a Bible, open it up, or your or your phone, or your iPad, or grab a, a Bible out of the chair in front of you. So, we're in the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to look at the last few verses of Acts chapter 28. Paul is in Rome now, and he's under house arrest. And uh, even then, he continues to love his neighbors. So I'm going to start reading with verse 23. Acts 28, starting with verse 23. And it's talking about they arranging to meet with Paul on a certain day. This is talking about Jewish leaders who were in Rome. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. Paul witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and how from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he had to say, but others would not believe. And they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said to them through the Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. 
Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rental house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So somewhere among the kind of recent inspirational emails that I have received, someone sent me a doctor's prescription for humanity. And this doctor wrote out a little prescription of what was the best medicine for people. Would you like to guess what that is? Best medicine for people. Love. Yeah, of course. You should have picked up on that by now, right? Okay. The best medicine for people is love. And what I really liked was what he wrote under that prescription. If you don't get the desired results, increase the dosage. I thought that was exactly right on, and that's exactly what we've been talking about here in the last many weeks, we're talking about trying to love Cedar Rapids. What is it that Cedar Rapids really needs? Love. And Marion and Palo and Ely and Swisher and maybe even Iowa City, they need love, right? All of eastern Iowa. So if we take anything away from this little study that we've done, I think that would be a good summary Love our community, love our neighbors, and if it doesn't look like it's working, then crank up the dosage. Just do more of the same. So I've been looking at this book as kind of like a learning lab, like looking at how the disciples, as they interacted with their neighbors and spread the gospel in that first church, how they did it, and then maybe we could get some inspiration for ourselves of how to do this. And we see that they carried out this vision from the beginning, and it just continued to multiply. And remember the promise we looked at right at the very beginning. Acts 1.8 said, You will be my witnesses and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we've gone through the book, we've seen that that's exactly what happened, that the message spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And for all practical purposes, now this message has gone to in the entire world. So when we get to Acts 28, this kind of final words, in one sense, we could say, you know, mission accomplished. It looks like they did what they set out to do. They were going to continue the ministry of Jesus, and they were going to carry it out into the whole world. And it looks like that's just about done. But in another sense, this chapter ends with us completely hanging in limbo. Because the job's not done yet. We don't even find out at the end of this book what happened to Paul, what happened to Peter, what happened to the early disciples. None of that stuff is included in this. We're just kind of left like, okay, the church has started to spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Then what happens? Well, you know what's happened? We happened. The church continued to spread from that day until now in dramatic fashion. In fact, if we want to find out what happened to Paul... We have to go outside the Bible because the Bible doesn't really tell us. There's some tradition around this that says that he was in this kind of house arrest for a couple of years, and then he was probably arrested and put in prison and in jail. And the most reliable tradition says that Paul was beheaded by Nero. This was the cost for him in spreading the gospel. This was the cost for him to love his neighbor. There's another tradition that is related to Peter, and uh, the tradition for him is that he also was martyred for his faith, uh, crucified upside down because he chose to be crucified upside down, thinking being crucified in the same manner of Christ, he wasn't worthy of that. 
This was the cost of their loving their neighbor, of spreading the gospel. So that all got me thinking uh, this morning that maybe we should do just a real brief kind of cost-benefit analysis of loving our neighbors. Maybe we should try to figure out, you know, what is the actual cost of us loving Cedar Rapids and preaching the gospel, and what is the benefit that maybe comes from that? And I thought we could look at Paul as, you know, a really good example of how this could happen. So we first recognize that Paul, in spreading the gospel and loving his neighbors, paid a high cost. There's a couple different places we could turn, but I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I think of this as kind of uh, Paul's resume of hardship. It gives us a kind of an overview of some of the things he experienced because he followed the call that God gave him. 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 24. Paul says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone home without sleep. I've been hungry and thirsty and I've gone without food. I've been cold and tired. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Whew. That sounds like costly. And he doesn't even get to the being bit by a poisonous snake in that particular rundown. It was a kind of a dangerous love that Paul had as he went from place to place to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love these people. It was costly. And yet, none of these hazards stopped God from accomplishing his mission. None of these hazards actually stopped Paul from accomplishing his mission. God gives Paul the power to reach out in love, and I don't think it's an overstatement to say that we are here today because of Paul's work. The church exists today because he paid that cost of presenting the gospel, of loving his neighbors. When Paul finally gets to Rome, he calls these Jewish leaders together. He still, even though he's under arrest, still has this calling to share the good news, to love his neighbors. And he calls them together and kind of explains to them why he's a prisoner there. And then he preaches the gospel to them. He says everything he can do to convince them to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And the outcome of this gathering is typical of just about every one of Paul's um, missions, every one of his proclamations of the gospel. Some heard it and they believed. They said, yes, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They were prepared and ready to hear it. Others, they did not believe. Uh, Their hearts were harder. Their hearts weren't quite ready for that. Same thing Jeremy and his group experienced in Chicago this week. Some people heard this message and they were ready and they received it and they came to Christ. Others heard the same message They weren't ready. It seems to me that this is another cost that we need to take into account when we're loving our neighbors and when we're sharing the gospel message. If we go with this expectation that everybody's ready to receive this love, everybody's ready to receive this message, everybody I'm going to talk to, they're going to be like, oh, ready to respond to this. Well, they're not. 
And I think this is a cost that we have to take into account as we consider this. Paul, I think, alludes directly to this when he quotes that passage from Isaiah in this. This is a passage that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. It's actually right after Isaiah gets his call. You know, he gets this high and lofty vision of God in the heavens, and he's got this call to go out and be a prophet, and he's ready to go out. And the very next word that he gets from the Lord is this. Go to the people and say to them, you will be ever hearing and never understanding. You will be ever seeing and never perceiving. For the people's hearts are callous, they're hard. They hardly hear with their ears, their eyes are closed. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and I would turn to them and heal them. God is warning Isaiah right at the beginning of this mission, you know, everybody you go to isn't going to embrace this. They're not all going to love you and hug you back and accept your message. He says the same thing to Paul. I think that's the same thing he says to us today. You know, this doesn't change what you do. You go love your neighbor. We go share Christ. And if a heart is hard and calloused and not ready or not prepared, well, you know what? That's not really our job. It's not our responsibility to, like, prepare a heart. That's God's job. That's God's responsibility. God's at work to accomplish that. Hard hearts might keep people from responding to the faith, but that never stops us from following God's purpose, from following God's plan, and it never stops God from accomplishing His purpose either. And I've got to admit to you, there is a, a, a ton of mystery here. I don't know exactly how this works and why it works and the timing of it and who's going to respond and who's not going to respond. I don't get it. I don't know why everybody wouldn't respond to such good news. God loves you. But for some reason, they don't. There's a mystery, and J.R. touched on that a little bit last week in his message where we were talking about, you know, we don't know exactly how God is at work. But you know what we do know? God is at work. He is accomplishing his mission, and he's going to accomplish it. So I think that's another cost that we consider when we look to uh, reaching out to people. Paul finally ends up in Rome, and the tradition is that he actually ends up in chains. But that the gospel doesn't actually end up in chains. That even as he's there under house arrest and later in prison, he continues to proclaim this and witnesses to the guards, those people who are taking care of him, those people that come and go to visit him. And I love the way this chapter ends. The last word in the book of Acts is the word unhindered, which is kind of a fascinating word. It's this picture of like great boldness and, and no barriers that this word is continuing to go out from Paul. And there, though he is in this precarious situation, though he's had all this harassment and danger, he, the word of God is unhindered. And the message that he proclaims is unhindered. Uh, the verse we read said it this way, He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So nothing gets in the way of God's word going out. The circumstances don't. The empire doesn't. Paul himself doesn't get in the way of this word going out. I paraphrase this a little bit when I'm thinking about the cost-benefit question. No cost is too great to keep the word from going out. No cost is too great to keep the gospel from being proclaimed. No cost is too great to love our neighbors, to love them well. And Paul actually talks about this in several different places. My favorite passage on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul gives some perspective on why he was willing to pay the cost he paid to present the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, Paul says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have made myself a slave to everyone 
To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, but I do it to win those who are under the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that all, by all possible means some might be saved. I do this for the sake of the gospel. I think Paul did that little cost-benefit equation in his head, thinking of all the hardship, all the suffering, all the costs. What did Paul conclude? Is it worth it? Cost? Benefit? Oh, yeah. Paul says it's worth it. I would do it all to make the gospel known. I love the way Eugene Peterson's message translated one of these verses. It said this about that same passage in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living moralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever I can. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience their point of view. If there's something that I've thought a lot about in this series, it's that power of us entering into the worldview of other people, entering into the life of other people, experiencing what they experience, and loving them in the middle of that. You guys know I like to like look up research, and one of the startling pieces of research that got me going on this particular series was um, research about how does the world perceive Christians? Actually, it wasn't the world, it was Americans. How do Americans perceive Christians? And more than half of Americans perceive Christians as part of the problem in our world, not part of the solution. More than half of the people in America, Christians are part of the problem, not part of the solution. That bugged me. What if we entered into life with people and experienced life from their eyes and loved them no matter what? And if it didn't work, we'd just crank up the dosage of love. Would that change the perception they have? Well, there's some other interesting research that indicated that that might actually be the case. And I actually get geeked out when the research matches what the Bible teaches. And this research indicated what are doors that open up uh, people to accept Christians and to listen to Christians. What is it that makes us Uh, that people willing to listen to us, that maybe begin to think that we're part of the solution, not part of the problem. And that this research indicated four, um, what I would call dangerous loves, that indicate and open the door for us to build bridges. The first one, radical hospitality. That no matter what we do, we love people. And we make room for everybody. We continue to reach out and love them with that. That is one of the loves that opens the door. And that's costly. If I'm going to love you uh, with kind of a radical hospitality, that takes time. We heard that this morning from Chris. You've got to invest in time. You've got to spend time doing it. You, you gotta, it takes energy. You've got to be there. You've got to hang in there, sometimes long-term. Radical hospitality, costly. The second dangerous love, fearless conversation. That once we're hanging out with people and spending time with them, are we just willing to ask important questions? Are we, this isn't like we come in there and blast people with some... Uh, pre-planned message, but that we are willing to probe important issues and ask significant questions and then listen. Fearless conversations. Go where we maybe are nervous about going and ask them questions that we're not sure we want to hear the answers to. And this is costly too because we have to overcome our own fear and kind of the unknown. What's going to happen if we engage deeply with people in these kinds of conversations? We don't know where that's going to go. 
The third dangerous love they suggest is genuine humility. This suggests that we create space by humbly listening to people when they start talking to us. Oftentimes, the kind of evangelism I grew up with was you go there and you tell them the gospel and then they respond. In this day and age, a lot more of our evangelism might be humbly listening to where they're coming from first. And that might take a lot of time hearing their story, hearing what's going on, trying to discern where is God at work in this story. And this can be costly too because it can be uncomfortable, it can be uncertain, it can be, we can fail. We like meet with somebody and not, don't see any good thing that comes from it. Or maybe we get rejected by being in this kind of relationship. That's a cost that we might have to pay. But that's genuine humility. The fourth dangerous love was divine anticipation. Do we love people enough to anticipate that God is already working in them? Do we anticipate the good thing that God wants to do and recognize that God is there and we can join God in that process? That's costly too because that takes some surrender and trust, trusting God to work. We put together a little packet for you to take home and use at the conclusion of this thing and it's in your bulletins. It's this little colorful brochure that Leah created. Some pictures that you all sent in of where you love Cedar Rapids. But there's some really common sense, practical guides here about how to build that common ground. We actually tried to summarize things from the entire series and this could become a little tool for you. So take it home, put it someplace where you can maybe refer back to it and use it as a guide um, to reach out with radical hospitality, fearless conversation, genuine humility and divine anticipation and then we'll see what God has to do one last I guess suggestion that I have is this pay attention we at least I when I plan a series of messages I'd like to see that it made a difference I don't always get to see that but uh, in this case I've been going around asking people tell me about your neighbors because I'm curious as we've been talking about this all these weeks has it changed And I got to tell you, I've heard several times this past week something like this. Since we started talking about this, I have dropped what I'm doing in my yard and I've walked over to the fence and talked to my neighbor. Someone told me that they were coming back from their mailbox with their mail and they stopped and they actually turned around and walked over to their neighbor who was getting her mail and talked to them. I got to tell you, that just really thrills me. And if you're frustrated because you feel like it's not working... I'd say keep loving your neighbor and crank up the dosage. God, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for uh, the work that you're doing in us, and we know that you're going to continue to do that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.